I'm really excited about sharing something that God has really laid on my heart all through this week, a passage that I've just been living in. But there's a declaration that is made in churches around the world, particularly on Easter Sunday. And it's simply the declaration, He is risen. And the refrain is, He is risen indeed. And you may want to put that in the chat box. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to talk to you this morning about what happens when Jesus walks into the room. And I want to read a passage of Scripture out of John's Gospel. And you may want to turn to it in your Bibles or just follow it on the screens. It's John 20, verse 19 to 22. Just four verses. That evening, the disciples gathered together because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders. They had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you, peace to you. He showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. And they were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to just walk you through these few verses that tells of Christ's appearance to his disciples. And this is John's story. John is recounting to us how he encountered Christ, how he he experienced Jesus. His whole book is written to that intent. The whole gospel is written to that intent. And he wants us to know the impact that Jesus had on his life. He's not teaching theology, although the book is deeply theological. He's not presenting some kind of ideology. He's not even presenting a religious belief in the classic sense of that. He is actually telling us his story, his experience, his encounter with Jesus. And the thing that he highlights is he wants you to experience Jesus just as he did. In fact, he is blunt about it. He goes straight to it. In John 20 and verse 31, as he comes to the end of his story, he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, eternal life in his name. He says, the only reason I've written my story, my experience, my encounter with Jesus is so that you can believe and in believing find eternal life that is not just something about the future, but God's life, eternal life, breaking into your life, your circumstances. That's what the resurrection is about. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But let's just set the scene. Look at the circumstances for a few moments. John's experience of the resurrection took place in real life. It is historically accurate and it's an insider's view. It's his story. And one of the things we need to remember that after the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus' disciples were not believers. They were filled with doubt. They were filled with fear. They were not believers. Their world had been shattered. 
And there's three things that come to mind that in many ways parallel our experience, your experience as we're going through this COVID-19 situation worldwide is the first thing is they were confused. Matthew tells us that all the disciples deserted him and fled. That there was one that betrayed him. There was one Peter who denied him and the rest just ran for their lives. They were confused. They had an expectation of what God was up to. They thought they knew what Jesus was going to do. And it didn't work out like they thought. Their life, their world was turned upside down. The previous three to four days was chaotic for them. It was filled with terror, with fear, with confusion. And in some ways, I think in the last four weeks, our world has experienced similar emotions, similar feelings. Jesus, as I said, had been betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, faced multiple tries, beaten and humiliated, died and is buried. And his disciples are now not believers, they doubt us. But in the middle of the confusion that they were experiencing, God is not a God of confusion. I love the way the Apostle Paul says that, that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And twice Jesus said to his disciples, peace to you. I want you to just put that in the chat box, peace to you. And just breathe in, as it were, the peace of God. God is not a God of confusion. He's still on the throne. He's still in control and he's the God of peace. So they were confused. But the second thing is they were terrified. They were afraid. It says here they were afraid of reprisal from the Jewish leader. And I think many people around the world, and in some instances, rightly so, are experiencing fear. Some of it real, some of it imagined, some of it projected. But the sense of dread, how are we going to get out of this? What, what's the future look like? What does life look like? I mean, I've been asking those questions about my life and our ministry and all the things that are going on, family, everything. What's life going to look like in six months' time? But we need a rest in God's love for us. John, remember the very man who's telling us his story, later writes an epistle. It's a short letter to some people that he loves. And in 1 John 4 verse 8, and he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. And we know that tormenting feeling that fear brings. But highlight what John said, perfect love casts out all fear. And maybe he's reflecting on the fears that he had when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was betrayed and crucified and died. And the fears, and he says, no, no, God had a plan. The God of all love, the God who is love had a plan. And if I'd rested in that, I wouldn't have been afraid. We can look at his story and draw a conclusion. No matter how chaotic, no matter how different things are, God loves you perfectly. He's got a plan for your life and you don't need to give in to the torment of fear. So they were confused. They were afraid. And then there was a third thing that we can identify with. They were isolated. We're in a state of reasonable lockdown in this country. Other countries, it's more extreme. 
I was just talking to a sister of mine who lives in England where the shutdown is even more dramatic than we experience in, in Australia. And you may be watching from another country right now and your experience is more extreme than what we're going through. But the disciples were isolated. Listen to this. They were in self-isolation. They had locked the doors to the place where they met. They had locked the doors. They were in isolation. They were cut off. They were confused. They were afraid. They didn't really know what was going on in the world round about them in the aftermath of Jesus' death. And they isolated themselves. And God never intended us to be isolated. Now hear me carefully. I'm not in any way, shape or form encouraging you to break the rules, the guidelines, the laws around isolation at this time. But thank God for technology in our society where we can Zoom somebody, FaceTime. We need to use those things to connect. If you have a neighbor, somebody nearby or a relative who is isolated, I've got some friends who and in self-isolation because they are vulnerable either because of age or because of an existing condition. I'm making sure I FaceTime them, I contact them, read. Do that because God never intended us to live alone. He said that to Adam in Genesis. It is not good that man should be alone. And he wasn't just talking about the man in that instance. He created us for community. I want to encourage you, do everything you can to create community using technology, doing different things while keeping the laws, the guidelines, the restrictions that your country or your city or your state requires of you. David knew what it was to be isolated, to be on the run, to be unafraid. And he prayed such an awesome prayer in Psalm 26 and verse, sorry, Psalm 25, verse 16. He says to God, turn to me and have mercy for I am alone and in deep distress. And maybe you just want to put that in the chat box, a prayer to God, God turn to me because I feel alone. I feel isolated. I, I can feel the distress. God turn to me. And you'll find the presence, the comfort of God come to you immediately. But let's move on through the story to this incredible encounter that goes right to the title that I gave this message. What happens when Jesus walks into the room? It says they had locked the doors to the place where they met, but suddenly Jesus appeared among them. The doors are locked. The windows are locked. Perhaps the doors even barricaded in this isolation because of the fear. There's no way to get in, but Jesus walks into the room. And you know what that tells me? That there's no physical barrier. There's no emotional barrier. There's no spiritual barrier that can stop Jesus from reaching you right now. He will walk into your room where you are in your circumstance. Nothing can keep him out. Simply invite him. And if you've never ever done that before, the whole thing of inviting Jesus to be in your life, to be Lord, to be Savior, then do it. You can begin to pray that prayer right now. I'll lead you in a prayer later, but you can pray that prayer right now because everything changes when Jesus walks into the room, when Jesus walks into your life. And the first thing he brings is peace. He appeared among them and said, peace to you. 
And I mentioned this earlier because I really want to remind you of it. He actually says it to them twice as a greeting and then as a declaration, peace to you. And the thing is, we don't always get what God says to us the first time. The word peace here means total well-being, prosperity, not just in a financial sense. The word prosperity has to do with a life that overflows, that is filled with purpose, that is filled with what God called you to be and do. It's well-being, it's prosperity, it's security, but it's always associated with the presence of God. And in this instance, the presence of Jesus being with you. Peace to you. Put that in the chat box. Peace to you. Peace to your family. Peace to people who are isolated and away and distant and out of reach. But my point is, he said it twice. And what I love about that is God recognizes we struggle and it's actually okay to struggle. Just remember, and I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but he actually came back to this room a day or two later for Thomas because Thomas wasn't there. He came back for the straggler. He came back for the one who struggled most with his doubts and fears. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. So peace to you. And then he showed them his wounds. He showed them his wounds of his hands and of his side. And certainly these scars that he retained were the marks that proved that he was the Christ Jesus who was crucified, who had been beaten, who had been suffered and abused. But they also testified to something else. They testified that these wounds are his credentials to minister to suffering humanity. He comes to us and he says, I understand pain. I understand shame. I understand humiliation. I understand rejection. I understand isolation. On the cross, he had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those wounds testify that he understands us. He gets us. Your pain, your fear. He experienced it in the garden. He prayed. If there's any other way of doing this, dad, let's do that. But Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Those wounds are his credentials, his authority to minister to your pain, your circumstance. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Speaking of Jesus, he suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. So he can help you as you pass through this ordeal in your life. So he said, peace, he showed them wounds, but it was about a personal encounter. Listen to these words. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes, with their own eyes. You see, a relationship to Jesus is available to everyone. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only beloved son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life but you've got to make it personal. You've got to choose that. John earlier in his gospel, the 17th chapter says this, eternal life means to know and experience you, speaking of God, as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son you sent. Listen to John, he's again about the experience. And theology 
creates a right framework for a real experience with God. Please don't miss the experience that you can have with Jesus this morning because He is risen. He is risen indeed. What a triumphant, joyous thing. Because true joy is found in knowing God. In the book of Nehemiah, totally different circumstance, but again, speaking to people who'd been through all sorts of pain, upheaval, and things that were going on in their world. God speaks and says, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just grab that joy. It's your strength. Joy is your strength. Put that in the chat box. Joy is the strength. And the reason we encourage you to put it in the comments of the chat box is it actually is a declaration. You speak into your own heart, your own soul, as well as to others. The fourth thing that happened, and don't worry, there's only 20. No, there's only one more after this. Purpose was restored. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you out of the pain, out of the confusion, out of the isolation. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. I've got something for you to do. You see, pain and fear and loss disrupt and destroy our sense of purpose. And there's a whole lot of people right now and all that's going on go, what is my purpose? I thought I had it secured in a job or in this or in that. And all these things that have happened, they begin to eat away at our confidence about our purpose, our reason for being on the planet. But when Jesus walks in the room, he restores it. Jesus was sent to the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus right now, I want you to catch this. So are you. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Don't underestimate the difference you can make in the way you do life at this time for your family, for your neighbors, for your work colleagues, for those you interact with when you do go shopping. It's funny how that grocery shopping has now become a family event with social distancing. But in those interactions, that statement of kindness, that asking somebody else how they're going, not dwelling too long because that wouldn't be appropriate, but I'm just, don't underestimate the difference you can make. You are God's chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. And if you haven't yet experienced the goodness of God, you can this morning. The final thing is empowerment was given. Then taking a deep breath, he, that is Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love so many things about this passage, this declaration, this thing that Jesus did. But I want you to notice he took a deep breath. And I want to encourage you right now just to take a deep breath. There's something about just calming yourself and just think, I'm going to breathe in the presence of God. I'm going to breathe in the Holy Spirit because right in this moment, Jesus has walked into your room, your circumstance, and he's ready to breathe on you and to impart to you the person, the power, the encouragement that comes through the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son send the Holy Spirit 
to make real everything that God and Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's in the outpouring of your spirit that you will find comfort. The Holy Spirit is actually referred to by Jesus as the comforter. St. Augustine said, God does not give a gift inferior to himself. God is sending his best in sending his spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. But he sends his spirit to be with you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to give you wisdom. You can do this. You're going to be all right. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him to you. The divine encourager. Just breathe. Maybe put that in the chat box. Just breathe. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit.